We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 368 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. What is, believe it or not, the 20th anniversary of my first professional on-air shift in radio. Uh, August 3rd, 2002. It was a Saturday morning. I did the Saturday morning update shift at what was then Sports Talk 980. Uh, I was 22, and what I'll always remember about that day is I was taking this fat burner called HydroxyCut because I was trying to get ripped, and I thought that HydroxyCut could aid me in my quest to get ripped. And HydroxyCut had ephedra in it, and ephedra ended up being a big deal when a pitcher for the Orioles, uh, Steve Beckler, died uh, just a few months later. Uh, And I took the HydroxyCut on an empty stomach because that's what you were supposed to do if you followed the instructions. And I for like, (laughs) this isn't funny, but I for like the first hour or two of the update shift felt horrible. I was like, yeah, I probably should not have taken the hydroxy cut uh, before this first update shift. But yeah, uh, that was my experience. Well, I'm not sure if the greatest sports broadcaster of all time, Vin Scully, ever took hydroxycut, uh, but sadly, Vin is no longer with us. Uh, very sad news late night on Tuesday night. The Los Angeles Dodgers announcing that the great Vin Scully has died. He was 94. Uh, way too much death in sports lately. Uh, you know, we had Bill Russell just the other day. Now here we have Vin Scully. Uh, Vin Scully, longest tenured broadcaster with a single team in pro sports history. 67 years. He was a Dodgers broadcaster from 1950 through 2016. Think about that time span. 1950 through 2016. Uh, Vin was NBC's lead baseball announcer from 1983 through 1989. Uh, He also called play-by-play for NFL games and PGA Tour events. And one of my favorite facts about Vin Scully is his Washington, D.C. connection. Uh, Vin, at the age of 22, got a job working for WTOP in Washington, D.C. So 
there very much was a DC connection uh, for Vin Scully. So yeah, again, I don't know if Vin at 22 was popping hydroxy cuts, but Vin at 22 was working at WTOP in DC. So Vin Scully cannot say enough good things about him. He was outstanding. Uh, one of the greatest voices in not just sports broadcasting history, but I feel like in the history of the world, right? How many people ever have had a better voice than Vin Scully? And he had such a great way with words. He was such an excellent storyteller. He was a master of the moment. You know, the biggest moments were Vin's best calls. I mean, his call of game six of the 1986 World Series, the New York Mets epic win over the Boston Red Sox, uh, Vin's call of the Kirk Gibson walk-off home run for the Dodgers over the Oakland A's in game one of the 1988 World Series. I mean, all-time legendary calls. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast off a day like few others in D.C. sports history. Uh, The Nationals on Tuesday afternoon traded Juan Soto. Yes, they did it. Uh, Soto is gone. Uh, This, to me, never had to happen, and yet this did happen on Tuesday afternoon. Juan Soto and Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres for six players in what amazingly ended up being the Nats' only trade on MLB trade deadline day on Tuesday. The Nats did make a trade on Monday, but ultimately just two trades for the Nats in the lead-up to the deadline. And one of the trades was, in fact, an all-timer. I, next segment, will go in-depth on this. In-depth reaction to and analysis of the Nats doing what was unthinkable not that long ago, trading Juan Soto, trading the modern Ted Williams. Why did this happen? How did this happen? And what exactly did the Nats get back? Did the Nats get back a proper haul? I'm going to get into all of this and much more, including comments from Mike Rizzo on Tuesday evening. Uh, I have a lot for you from Commander's Training Camp. Uh, Tuesday was day seven. It included the first padded practice of 2022 Commander's Training Camp. We'll get into that, including Carson Wentz and the offense looking better. Uh, I have some good comments to play for you from Ron Rivera, Jahan Dodson, and Cole Holcomb, as we'll do some linebacker talk. Uh, Cole Holcomb, Jamin Davis, David Mayo, uh, do you have confidence in a Commander's linebacking core to which oh so little has been done Uh, since the end of last season. Also on the show, uh, I will discuss the actual game for the Nats uh, on Tuesday. Uh, What was a stunning win for the now Juan Soto-less and now Josh Bell-less Nats, a 5-1 win over the National League East-leading New York Mets at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, They on Tuesday made two more trades, including dealing Jorge Lopez and That was totally the right call. I'll explain why and also get into the O's on Tuesday night, winning again uh, an 8-2 win at the Texas Rangers. As the rise of the O's continues, do you know that they now have surpassed their win total from all of last regular season, 52-110 and in the 2021 regular season, 53-51 and now in the 2022 regular season. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the Nats trading Juan Soto. Tweet from Edge. Sad day 
as a Nats fan. The best thing that ever came to the team is gone. Don't care what players we got out of the deal. They will never be Soto. Going to be a long, and I mean long time, till the team is any good. A tweet from Joel Charney. As you said on Nats Chat, they're making up for the collapse of player development since they stopped being able to make no-brainer... <laughs> since they stopped being able to make no-brainer number one overall picks, Steven Strasburg, Bryce Harper, that any fan with a Baseball America subscription could have made. Tweet from PWAP, gut punch now, that it actually happened. They just traded away their heart and soul. Uh, a one-word tweet from Rick Hale. Trashinals. Tweet from DC Sports Fan. Very disappointed in my team. It took this extreme measure to make up for years of poor drafting and development. GM Mike Rizzo needs to go. Note to new owners, the ninja has to go. Tweet from Taj Wilson. If the Nats do have new ownership that has incredible money, trading Juan Soto now is smart. Unless the Padres extend Soto now, which Scott Boris would never do, Soto will be a free agent in two years. New Nats ownership will be in place, team hopefully better, and new ownership signs <laughs> Soto. Uh, yeah, Taj, I guess that, that could happen, right? The Nats signing Soto as a free agent in the 2024-2025 offseason. Uh, of course, what's also possible is that the Padres sign Soto to a contract extension prior to the 2024-2025 offseason. Keep this in mind, the Padres now have negotiating exclusivity with Soto. Uh, the Nats had that. Uh, couldn't or wouldn't do anything with that. We'll see if the Padres can do something with that. Email from Jerry Moore. Al, count me as unimpressed with the Nats deal. Under the learners, the Nats were cheap with Bryce Harper and Juan Soto and Foolish with Trey Turner, done as a real Nats fan. Won't attend any games moving forward. Nats will always lose every good player they develop. That's just who they are, new owner or not. Uh, yeah, look, I don't blame the Nats for not making a bigger money offer to Bryce Harper, even though you now could argue that the Nats should have done that. And I don't think that the Nats were foolish with Trey Turner, but no doubt, I mean, at the very least, I don't know how you don't have a lot of questions about what just happened here with Juan Soto. Well, if you have questions or concerns about the health of your skin, uh, know that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland provide excellent skin care. Call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Uh, the Institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you are dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer, like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you, but call 301 396 
3401. You can also visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Bruguese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. As is always the case, I appreciate you listening to this podcast. I appreciate you supporting the sponsors of this podcast, and I appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast. Uh, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can give the podcast a five-star rating, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review of the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. Uh, the ratings and the reviews help out a lot, and uh, thank you for doing them. Well, let's start with this. Uh, what does it say about how bad the Nationals are that they only ended up making two trades prior to the 2022 MLB trade deadline on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern? For all of the talk about all of the players who the Nats could trade, they only ended up making two trades and only ended up trading three players. Uh, right fielder Juan Soto, first baseman Josh Bell, and super utility man A. Ray Adrianza, uh, of all people. Uh, the Nats did not trade D.H. Nelson Cruz. He this season has been so bad that apparently no other team wanted him. Uh, the Nats did not trade, say, second baseman Cesar Hernandez. Uh, the Nats did not trade, say, third baseman Michael Franco. Uh, the Nats did not trade any of their relievers, uh, say, Kyle Finnegan or Carl Edwards Jr. or Steve Ciszek. Uh Now, it's possible that the Nats weren't trying to trade Finnegan, but each of those other guys very much was, or at least should have been, available, and yet not a single one of those guys got traded. Uh, that really is something that really says a lot about how unappealing so many of the players on the 2022 Nats are. But of course, two players who had been on the 2022 Nats who were appealing were Juan Soto and Josh Bell, and each guy now is gone. Uh, we knew that Bell would be gone. He's set to be a free agent this coming offseason. We were not sure whether Soto would be gone, and now he is gone. Uh, one of the biggest, most significant trades in the history of Washington, D.C. sports happened on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, that is not overstating things. That is not exaggerating things. That is not engaging in hyperbole. Uh, that is truth. One of the biggest, most significant trades in the history of Washington, D.C. sports happened on Tuesday afternoon. We, for weeks on this podcast, had been talking about whether the Nats would and should trade Juan Soto. Uh, my stance was simple. The Nats didn't have to trade Soto. Not right now. Unless they were absolutely unequivocally convinced that there was no chance that he would ever sign a contract extension with the Nats, no matter who the owner of the team was. And the Nats could get a great offer featuring a multitude of high-level prospects slash young players. Otherwise, assuming that the Nats wanted to keep Soto the play to me was for the sale of the team to be completed this offseason. Let new ownership take a crack at trying to sign Soto to a contract extension and then reevaluate where you would be at with Soto because you could always trade him this coming offseason. I am all for teams being aggressive and forward thinking and proactive. The Nats trading Soto this season felt too aggressive. Again, unless the two just mentioned parameters 
were in effect. Uh, I am all for not giving mega money contracts to Major League Baseball players because so few of these mega money contracts actually work out. And baseball is not a sport in which one guy, even a superstar, can make you a playoff team. You need a plethora of good players. But Juan Soto is someone for whom you very much can make the exception. He is young enough, elite enough, durable enough, and a good enough teammate to where you very much can argue that he would be worthy of a mega money contract, a 400 plus million dollar contract, maybe even a 500 plus million dollar contract. There's a lot about the Nats trading Juan Soto that still doesn't make sense. How and why did this situation go from zero to 100 so quick? You know, it was on June 1st, just two months ago, that Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan said, quote, we are not trading Juan Soto. We've made it clear to his agent and to the player. We have every intention of building this team around Juan Soto, end quote. Really? Every intention? Every single intention possible? What happened with that? We, on July 16th, had multiple reports of Soto having turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer from the Nats, who thus had become open to trading Soto. Uh, That was a below-market value offer. The offer worked out to an average annual value, an AAV of $29.33 million. That was a low AAV, relatively speaking. Did the Nats ever make another offer? If the answer to that question is no, well then, why was the 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer that was below market value the final offer? Why was that the drop-dead offer? Why did this negotiation have to end this summer? You know, it's almost like the Nats were looking for a reason to trade Soto. They made a below-market value offer. He predictably rejected it. And then that was it. Time to trade Juan Soto. If the learners are, in fact, selling the Nats, and the sale is expected to be completed by this November, as Barry's Verluga, columnist for the Washington Post, indicated in a tweet on July 19th, then why were the learners so triggered to trade Soto this season? If they're not going to be the owners of the team moving forward, what do they care whether he's on the team moving forward or not? Why did the learners have ants in the pants to trade Soto? Uh, Have the learners been told by prospective buyers of the Nets to trade Soto? You know, you wonder about that. And if the answer to that is yes, well, what does that say about the prospective buyers of the Nats? Uh, Where has Mike Rizzo truly stood on trading Soto? Did Mike Rizzo really, truly want to trade Soto? Did Mike Rizzo really, truly want to do this trade that went down on Tuesday afternoon? There's a lot here that we don't know, but there's a lot here that doesn't add up. And I do think that at some point, we're going to get some lengthy piece somewhere on what went on behind the scenes with the Nets during the Juan Soto saga. There's a lot here that seems off. Uh, Another thing to think about is this. The state of the Nets in terms of the farm system and player development. Uh, As I have said, as much as I love Mike Rizzo, who for years I have called the ninja, Uh, The truth is that his Nats have completely lost their way when it comes to drafting and player development. 
The Nats have had embarrassingly little success in MLB drafts for years now. The state of the farm system prior to last season's fire sale was shameful, and the team's inability to develop players and make them better really is standing out these days. I mean, what has happened with pitcher Austin Voth with the Orioles versus what went on with him with the Nats is really tough from a Nats perspective, okay? At least right now. I mean, maybe Voth falls apart for the O's, but right now, Austin Voth for the O's, has an ERA of 284. Why couldn't he do that with the Nats over his four-plus major league seasons with the Nats? If the Nats farm system had been in better shape, if the Nats had shown more of an aptitude for developing players, if there wasn't something seemingly systemically wrong with how the Nats draft and develop players, would this Juan Soto trade have even happened? Ask yourself that question. I mean, the idea behind the trade clearly was to inject a bunch of high-level prospects and young players into a Nats organization starving for more high-level prospects and young players. Okay, but why are you in this position to begin with? What has happened to you from a standpoint of drafting and player development? And that this decline in drafting and player development has happened under Mike Rizzo's watch, well, what does that say? about Rizzo moving forward. What does that say about the Ninja? And so you wonder if a reason, maybe even the biggest reason that the Nats have traded Juan Soto is that they have done a woeful job of drafting and developing players. And is that a good enough reason to trade away a generational player like Juan Soto? Like, why should one screw-up lead to another screw-up? Uh, The trade was as follows. The Nats on Tuesday afternoon traded Juan Soto and Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres for six players. Uh, The six players included five prospects slash young players. Uh, Shortstop C.J. Abrams, left-handed pitcher Mackenzie Gore, outfielder Robert Hassel III, uh, outfielder James Wood, and right-handed pitcher Harleen Susana. Uh, The sixth player in the trade was Major League First Baseman slash D.H. Luke Voigt. Uh, Look, there certainly are things to like about these players who the Nats got from the Padres. You know, it's not necessarily, though, the overwhelming knock-you-out haul of prospects and young players you wanted for trading, remember, not just Juan Soto, but also Josh Bell. It's a little tricky in evaluating what the Nats got back, whether this is a proper haul. This is a haul You know, but I guess a lot of this has to do with expectation, right? We were expecting an all-time haul for Juan Soto. And then when you throw Josh Bell into the mix, you say to yourself, okay, well, this just must be just one of the greatest uh, getbacks any Major League Baseball team has ever received in a trade. I don't know if you can say that about what the Nats have gotten back here. I guess time will tell, right? I mean, if three of these guys end up becoming Hall of Famers, then yeah, you're going to love what the Nats ended up getting for Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Let's go through these players who the Nats got. Uh, so shortstop C.J. Abrams, he entered the 2022 season as the number nine prospect in baseball for both MLB Pipeline and Baseball America. Uh, this season is his age 21 season. The Padres took Abrams with the number six pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of a high school in Georgia. Uh, Starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore. Gore entered the 2022 season as the number 86 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, although this was a fall off him having entered the 2021 season as the number six prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. He's currently dealing with elbow inflammation, so that's scary. Uh, This season is his age 23 season. The Padres took Gore with the number three pick 
in the 2017 MLB draft out of a high school in North Carolina. Uh, outfielder Robert Hassel III. Uh, I don't know if we're going to call him RH3, uh, but, uh, but Hassel, as we speak, is the number 21 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. Uh, this season is his age 20 season. The Padres took Hassel with the number eight pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of a high school in Tennessee. Uh, outfielder James Wood. Uh, he, as we speak, is the number 88 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. This season is just his age 19 season. Uh, the Padres took Wood in the second round of the 2021 MLB draft out of IMG Academy in Florida, but Wood is a local. Uh, he grew up in Maryland. His initial high school was St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C., and Wood is a big dude. Uh, he's a big hombre. Uh, Wood is listed as being 6'7", and 240 pounds. And then starting pitcher Harleen Susana, uh, he was the consensus number one ranked pitcher in the 2022 international signing class. Uh, I love that. This season is just his age 18 season, and he too is a big hombre. He's listed as being 6'6 and 200. 35 pounds. And then rounding out the hull is the true major leaguer who the Nats got, first baseman slash DH, Luke Voigt. Uh, this season is Voigt's age 31 season, but he's under team control through the 2024 season. And Luke Voigt can hit. Uh, Luke Voigt has posted a regular season OPS plus of 125 since the start of the 2020 regular season. Uh, OPS Plus is OPS that is adjusted for your home ballpark and league. 100 is average. Anything above 100 is good. Voigt's OPS Plus for regular season games since the start of the 2020 regular season, again, is 125. Uh, Mike Rizzo on Tuesday evening did do a press conference. Here he was on the five prospects slash young players who the Nats got from the Padres. Uh, you'll hear Mike address these guys in the following order. Shortstop C.J. Abrams, starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore, outfielder James Wood, outfielder Robert Hassel III, and starting pitcher Harleen Susana. You know, the, the big league component, uh, Abrams, uh, uh, C.J. is, uh, you know, he's, he's a tooled up, twitchy type of live body guy that uh, that can really run really play shortstop very acrobatic and and uh, light on his feet uh, and uh, he's, he's got he's got twitchy hands and and a, a really a quick bat uh, we th we see him as a, as a five tool uh, type of talent uh, he could steal your base he could he stays at shortstop he's got a good arm uh, and a guy that could hit at the top top of any any order uh, uh, Mackenzie Gore is a guy that uh, that has uh, been a a famous guy and name for years. Finally, put it all together at the uh, at the age of 23, and uh, and uh, you know he's got big stuff, a big arm from the left the left side, and uh, and you know came out of the shoot very very strong, uh, and kind of faded out because you know he, he's he's pitched from limited innings for uh, for his whole professional career. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna go easy with him when when he gets here, and uh, and and really uh, uh, kind of take him slow. And, and step by step, uh, and then you've got the you know the the, the big time toolsy guys uh, in uh, in James Woods, who's a six seven, uh, a specimen of a body. He's got big time power. He's a plus plus runner, uh, and uh, and just a, it's a good balance good balance player, uh, and uh, and. Uh, 
Hassel is, uh, is a, a, again, a five-tool talent that we believe stays in center field and uh, a guy that uh, that can hit hit with power, play defense, throw, run, and steal bases, and uh, his ceiling is high. Uh, they're all performing well. Their analytics uh, were, were extremely high, uh, and uh, the, the scouts loved them. So it was, uh, it was a good group of guys. Uh, the... Uh, the the least known of the the youngest and least known uh, of the group is is possibly the highest upside of the group. Uh, uh, the, the that was the the piece that we really coveted and really wanted after the, after the you know what we call the elite four. Uh, and uh, Susanna is a is a eighteen year old uh, Dominican right handed pitcher that's six foot six. He's got a good clean delivery. He throws the ball hard. He's ninety eight. We saw him twice in the last week. Uh, uh, last two weeks, he's up to 102 miles an hour with a breaking pitch and a good feel for a changeup. Uh, you know, he's a guy that who is high school age, and we believe that he, if he was in this 2022 draft, he'd have been a, he would have been a high to mid first round pick. And uh, we, we that was a that was a, a player that we really coveted. So, you know, that's a quick rundown of him. Uh, uh, we we again, we've done a lot of work on him. We've seen him for uh, years. We've had good history with him, so we felt comfortable with uh, with the ask. All right, so a good breakdown there from Mike Rizzo on the young prospects slash players who the Nats got back from the Padres. The Nats now have four top 100 prospects per MLB pipeline. Outfielder Robert Hassel III, number 21. Starting pitcher Cade Cavalli, number 44. Shortstop Brady House, number 49. And outfielder James Wood, number 88. Cavalli, by the way, pitched on Tuesday night, made a start for Triple A Rochester, two runs in four innings, uh, four strikeouts versus one walk, but he gave up five hits, a double, and four singles, issued two hit by pitches and a wild pitch. Uh, so, look, things to like about each of the six players who the Nets got from the Padres, and even if only, say, three of the five prospects slash young players who the Nets got from the Padres pan out, well, that still can make this trade a win for the Nets. So, this Juan Soto trade isn't all gloom and doom. What made Tuesday a gloom and doom day, though, uh, what made Tuesday a sad day to me were three things. Number one, that a great and popular player in Juan Soto now is gone. Like, <laughs> that's a big deal. Number two, that the Nats seemingly so easily and so willingly tapped out on trying to keep Soto long term. Again, there seems to be more to all of this than we know right now. It was almost like the Nats were looking for a reason to tap out on trying to keep Soto long-term. And number three, that the Nats, to begin with, were in this position in which they were in dire need of acquiring high-level prospects and young players because the team in recent years has done such a bad job of drafting and developing players. Uh, there are other things that I could throw into the mix, too, like something that I talked about with Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post when he joined me a few weeks ago on episode 359 of the podcast. Did the Nats ever even try to sign Juan Soto to one of these long-term contract extensions that buys out a player's arbitration years and a few free agency years? Talking about years ago with Soto, were the Nats ever aggressive enough to have approached Soto about such a contract. You know, such contracts have been done in MLB for years. Such contracts go back to when John Hart was running the Cleveland Indians baseball operations in the 1990s, and such contracts continue to be done today. Such a contract 
was just done by the Atlanta Braves with their star third baseman, Austin Riley. 10 years, 212 million dollars. Now, his agent isn't Scott Boris. Soto's agent is Scott Boris. Big difference. I get that. But still, Juan Soto's tenure with the Nats never had to end with him being traded with two plus seasons left of team control. This didn't have to happen. And you got to ask why this happened. Mike Rizzo, during his press conference on Tuesday evening, got asked if he had a message for Nats fans. Here was his answer. The fans, uh, you know, uh, the, the message to the fans are, you know, I, I wore this ring uh, purposely, okay? It shows what we've done in the past and what we're going to do in the future. Uh, and, uh, you know, in 2019, we had a slogan, bumpy roads lead to beautiful places. <clears throat> we're, you know, we're in a bumpy road right now. And uh, we believe that coming out of this thing, it'll be a beautiful place. Well, that beautiful place seems very far away right now. Much more on the Nats later in the show. I'll also get to what the Orioles did on MLB trade deadline day later in the show. But up next, I'm talking Commanders. Lots to get into from Commanders training camp on Tuesday, including a discussion about the team at linebacker. Is Jamin Davis going to have a much-needed step-forward second NFL season? Is Cole Holcomb going to excel as the team's primary Mike linebacker? I'll get to all of that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Mm. 
There were many things that were disappointing about Washington's defense in the 2021 season. One of the biggest disappointments was linebacker Jamin Davis. Uh, Washington took Jamin with the number 19 pick in the 2021 NFL draft, and he ended up having a bad rookie season. Uh, Jamin, in his 2021 rookie regular season, played in 16 of Washington's 17 games, but he registered an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of just 468 Uh, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, He looked tentative. He looked like he was thinking far more than he was actually playing. And he just made very few standout plays over the course of the season. Maybe nothing better captured Jamin's bad rookie season than what happened in week 17, uh, during which he took a backseat to journeyman linebacker David Mayo. Uh, Washington's week 17-2016 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field featured Jamin Davis playing on just 21% of Washington's defensive snaps and featured David Mayo playing on 66% of Washington's defensive snaps. And again, this was in week 17, not, you know, week one or two. Uh, The role for which Jamin Davis was drafted, the Mike linebacker, very clearly did not work out for Jamin, uh, certainly not last season. Now, the good news with Jamin Davis is that he is incredibly gifted, uh, he is said to be a good dude and a hard worker. Uh, you know, none of his struggles last season, as far as we know, had anything to do with attitude or work ethic or anything like that. Commander's head coach Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning on how Jamin Davis is doing so far at 2022 Commander's training camp. Been very happy with it. Um, you see a lot of good positive things from Jamin right now. He's much more comfortable in what we're doing and how we're doing it. He's picked up the way we do things in terms of reads and, and, and drops. Um, reading through his, um, his drops and understanding the concepts is, is really big, and he's done a nice job with that. So very pleased with that. Um, as with Cole, I mean, Cole's done a nice job stepping into the mic position from the start. You know, last year he was, he was more of a Sam for us, uh, excuse me, a Will for us. And then, um, you know, when, when, when JB got injured, you know, we moved him to Mike, and he really showed very well. Now's an opportunity to work on that skill set. He's done a very good job. Uh, when Mayo's gotten his opportunities, Dave's a big physical guy. Today was a good day for, for Dave. Um, we did a lot of our, uh, our, our big defensive stuff, and um, so he got an opportunity. All right, so when Ron Rivera says that Jamin Davis is doing better, uh, what exactly does Ron mean? Uh, Q&A with Commander's Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic on Tuesday morning. When, when you say Jamin looks more comfortable, is that is there something tangible we can point to? Is it just the way he's identifying what a run lane? I was covering guys in the past, or that's basically it. I mean, you know, understanding the fits a lot better than he did last year, and uh, again, as I said, understanding how to how to read the progressions of the uh, the route combinations in front of him. Now, this is, of course, the time of year in which hope springs eternal in the NFL, so we have to wait and see on Jamin Davis, but uh, I'm certainly rooting for the guy. Uh, Now, as I said earlier, Jamin was drafted to be Washington's Mike linebacker. Uh, Him as the Mike linebacker did not work out. This whole Mike linebacker thing with Washington has been tricky. We late in the 2021 regular season saw a good bit of David Mayo playing Mike linebacker. Uh, Mayo in the 56-14 loss slash scrimmage uh, at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football in Week 16 played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. Uh, Mayo in that aforementioned 2016 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17 played on 66% of Washington's defensive snaps. Uh, Jamin Davis in that game played on just 21% of Washington's 
defensive snaps. Uh, Ron Rivera, in his day after the game Zoom press conference this past January 3rd, noted that Mayo, in that loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field, did well as Washington's Mike linebacker. Ron noted that Mayo playing the mic freed up Cole Holcomb to make plays, and Ron reiterated this at his season-ending joint press conference with general manager Martin Mayhew this past January 11th, but both Ron and Martin in their press conferences this past March at the NFL's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida, said that Cole Holcomb was very much an option to be the commander's primary Mike linebacker in the 2022 season, and sure enough, that appears to be what the case will be. Uh, all of this talk about the commander signing an unrestricted free agent linebacker of significance. Well, we are still waiting on that to happen. Uh, Cole Holcomb on Tuesday morning did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on how comfortable he feels as the Mike linebacker. No, I feel real comfortable. Um, you know, played a, played a lot last year. Um, just trying to pick up where I left off from last year. Now, Cole Holcomb has said that he wanted to be the team's Mike linebacker. Uh, why is that? Cole on Tuesday morning Gave us the answer. Uh, I mean, I feel like, you know, being in the middle, taking control, um, you know, it's, it's uh, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it's, it's more fun. Like, it's more of a challenge. It's more, you know, you have one more thing on your plate. Um, you know, get everybody lined up. I like the chess match of it. I like taking control and being the one, you know, having to play that, play that game with the quarterbacks and, um, you know, making the checks. I, you know, I feel, I feel very capable of being able to do it, so... I have a lot of confidence in it. So the 2022 season will be Cole Holcomb's age 26 season and the fourth and final season of his rookie contract. Uh, Cole, to me, is very much a candidate for a contract extension. Ron Rivera and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio have raved about Cole Holcomb uh, over the last few months. Uh, The Redskins took Cole Holcomb in the fifth round of the 2019 NFL Draft out of North Carolina. He very much was a Jay Gruden pick, by the way. Uh, the Redskins then head coach, Jay Gruden, big proponent of the Skins drafting Cole Holcomb. Uh, Cole in the 2021 regular season played in 16 of Washington's 17 games. He was number two on Washington in defensive snaps at 92.23%. He did not play in the scrimmage loss at the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football at Week 16 due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list, but he played on every defensive snap in every game in which he played in the 2021 regular season, except one. Uh, Cole Holcomb in the 34-30 win at the Atlanta Falcons in Week 4 played on 83% of Washington's defensive snaps due to suffering a shoulder injury. But how about that? In every other game in which he played in the 2021 regular season, Cole Holcomb played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. Uh, Now, Cole, for the 2021 regular season, did have an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of just 56.7. But Cole Holcomb, for the 2021 regular season, was number one on Washington in tackles at 142. Uh, He was tied for number two on Washington with two interceptions, including a fourth quarter 31-yard pick six in the 27-20 loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 14, and he was number four on Washington with seven pass defenses. Cole Holcomb has very much become a mainstay on the team's defense, uh, a defense that, of course, needs to be a lot better this coming season as compared to how the defense was last season. Washington finished the 2021 regular season number 27 out of 32 NFL teams in total defense Pro Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Uh, Not good. Cole Holcomb on Tuesday morning on what makes him think that the Commander's 2022 defense can be a great defense? I mean, I think think we got the talent. And then I think, 
you know, Delrio does a good job of letting us, you know, not think too much and play fast. So I think that combination, you know, can allow us just to play to our play to our abilities and, um, you know, play to our strengths, not to think too much and just and just go. Yeah, the Commanders, to me, do have the talent to have a great defense this coming season. The keys are the talent playing well and the talent being properly utilized. And those things did not happen enough last season. So we on Tuesday, what was day seven of 2022 Commanders training camp, had the first padded practice of 2022 Commanders training camp. Uh, the NFL of today, as you likely know, very different vis-a-vis uh, -vis the NFL of yesteryear in terms of padded practices. And so not every training camp practice is a padded practice. But Tuesday morning's Commanders training camp practice was a padded practice. Uh, it was a practice that was closer to actual real football. Uh, I, on Tuesday's show, episode 367, talked about the commander's defense on Monday morning, having outshined the commander's offense by quite a bit for a second time in four full practices. Well, the commander's offense on Monday morning was a lot better, and the practice being a petted practice was part of the reason for why. Uh, a padded practice allows for offensive linemen to actually take on defenders and block them. Uh, that's kind of a big deal, right? Uh, but a padded practice allows for that as opposed to the essential free rushes that defensive linemen can get in non-padded practices. There was a lot of talk on Monday about how quarterback Carson Wentz hasn't looked uh, the greatest at commander's training camp so far. And no doubt, he, during Monday morning's practice, through a good bit of picks. But, you know, instead of overreacting to that, how about just like waiting until the team has a padded practice? Uh, well, we on Tuesday morning had a padded practice and Carson, not so coincidentally, was better. <laughs> Funny how that works. Uh, here was Commander's head coach Rod Rivera on Tuesday morning during his post-practice press conference on how much more he can take away from a padded practice as opposed to a non-padded practice. Um, a lot more in terms of the realism of the game because when you don't have pads on, the O-line tends to catch a little bit more because, you know, they, they can't deliver a blow because you don't want the big collision. So the D-line gets a little bit of an advantage. In this situation, because they're allowed to deliver the blow, you can see a little bit more as far as, you know, who's getting the better angle, who's winning with leverage, um, who's getting push. And so that's really helpful for us as far as we're concerned. Um, it also, I think it helps the linebackers a little bit more because it cleans up things for them as far as their quick reaction. And for the runners, they get a better sense for where the creases are and you get to watch the guy make a really good or true cut. All right. So as Ron Rivera said right there, the defensive line in a non-padded practice has an advantage over the offensive line, which in a non-padded practice tends to catch a little more and not deliver big blows. So it makes sense that the commander's offense on Tuesday morning looked better. Uh, more from Ron on Tuesday morning on the difference between a non-padded practice and a padded practice, especially in the trenches. Well, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, understanding how to practice when you're using helmet and shells as opposed to helmet and pads is, is a much different thing. And uh, usually it favors the D-line uh, when, you, when you don't have pads on. Now you've got pads on, it kind of evens up, and you're trying to really see the, uh, the, 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 um, the offensive line uh, with some of their movements and, 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 and being able to get some push, stuff like that. Whereas with the defense, about watching those guys, trying to make sure they're getting into their creases and holding their ground. 
Okay. Uh, as for the commander's quarterbacks, uh, receiver Jahan Dotson on Tuesday morning did a post-practice press conference. He got asked what he has learned about Carson Wentz so far at commander's training camp. Uh, here was Jahan's answer. Yeah, uh, very laid back like myself, uh, but a tremendous leader. Uh, he, he helps me in every phase that I, I need help with. Uh, he, he's been a great supporter um, and, and, and a great quarterback for me, a guy who's putting it on the money uh, every single time I, I need it there or I'm, I'm getting targeted. So uh, it, it's great to have him. Ah, so Jahan Dotson is a fan of the accuracy of Carson Wentz so far. Good to hear that. Uh, Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning did not talk Carson Wentz, but Ron did talk Taylor Heineke and Sam Howell. Uh, this was Ron on what he's seeing from Taylor and Sam so far in training camp. Um, seeing growth. You know, with, with Taylor, you, you see him. Um, he's stronger this year. He's, he's throwing a really good ball. Um, he's, he's, he's getting even more and more comfortable in what we're doing. Um, with, with Sam, it's just a matter of learning. Uh, again, as he goes through it, understanding our, our, our scheme, our progressions in, in terms of the routes that are being run and you know, how to get to, uh, from one receiver to the other, stuff like that. So you're seeing growth from both these young guys. Yeah, interesting that Ron Rivera said that Taylor Heineke is stronger this year. Taylor, during the offseason, worked on his throwing mechanics in order to improve his arm strength, uh, perhaps. That's paying off. If so, good for him. Uh, and speaking of arm strength, you know, we never talked about this on the podcast, but how about the Madden arm strength rating for Sam Howell? Did you catch this? So the video game Madden 23, Sam Howell in Madden 23 is ranked number 10 among all NFL quarterbacks in throw power. Uh, not that that really means anything, but I was stunned when I saw that. Sam Howell, number 10 among all NFL quarterbacks in throw power. You know, Carson Wentz got completely disrespected by Madden 23. Carson's overall rating in Madden 23 has him as the number 26 overall quarterback. Yeah, number 26. Uh, but Sam Howell was not disrespected by Madden 23. Uh, some more from the man who the commanders took with the number 16 pick in the 2022 NFL draft, Jahan Dodson. So one of the really exciting things about him is how good he is at catching balls. He has an outstanding catch radius and he has great hands. Uh, Jahan in his 2021 senior season at Penn State for Pro Football Focus dropped just two of his 93 catchable targets. This was Jahan on Tuesday morning on his ability to catch the football. I don't want to sound cocky or anything, but I, I feel like I've always been a pretty good pass catcher. Uh, as a little kid, I was always playing with footballs, basketball, stuff like that. I always had some type of sports ball in my hand. So um, I feel like that, that stemmed from being a little kid, you know, uh, just being heavily into sports. And then uh, over the years, I just work on it constantly, you know, because you, if you work on something, you, you can't get worse. You know, you're gonna, only going to get better. So uh, I feel like that's a great attribute of mine, and I only want to make it better. Well, given that Carson Wentz can be inaccurate, it is encouraging that the commanders in Terry McLaurin and John Dodson have two receivers known for making tough catches. Uh, Terry finished the 2021 regular season at number one in the NFL with 25 contested catches for Pro Football Focus. Speaking of Terry, uh, here was John Dodson on Tuesday morning on what he has learned from being around Terry McLaurin so far. Yeah, uh, how he's a professional every single day. Um, he, he comes out here uh, every morning. He, he recovers. Um, he comes out here ready to practice every single day, and he, he goes hard every single rep. And uh, that, that's pretty much what you want in a teammate. 
because you know he's going to leave it all on the line uh, for you. So you, you want to do the exact same for him. So it, it's great playing alongside someone like him uh, just because I, I know what he's going to bring every single day, and that's, that's being a professional and, and playing his heart out. So I want to do the same for him. Yeah, you know, the value of Terry McLaurin isn't just that he's a really good receiver. It's also that he is a leader and a good dude and a good teammate and sets a good example. And you can't quantify what his influence can mean for the development and growth of someone like Jahan Dodson. But Terry's influence is a real thing. I'm usually not big on that, which you cannot quantify. Uh, But in this case, I'm totally on board with the idea that having Terry McLaurin can mean a lot for the growth and development of other receivers, especially considering that Terry now is under contract through the 2025 season via that three-year contract extension that he officially signed on July 5th. You know, the commanders for years to come are going to have not just a very good receiver, but also a very good influence in Terry McLaurin. And that's why that contract extension was such good news. Uh, When it comes to which commanders players did not practice on Tuesday morning, uh, yes, receiver Curtis Samuel uh, was back on a side field off Ron Rivera on Monday morning, revealing that Curtis is dealing with issues pertaining to, quote, overall football conditioning and shape, and quote, Uh, Also remaining on a side field on Tuesday morning was tight end John Bates. Uh, We now know what is plaguing Bates. Uh, Ron Rivera, during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning, revealed that Bates is dealing with a calf issue. And also not practicing on Tuesday morning was edge defender James Smith-Williams. He, per Ron, is dealing with a hip ailment. Well, not that really anything on Tuesday night for the Nationals could supersede what happened on Tuesday afternoon for the Nats with them trading right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres for six players. But I tell you what, on Tuesday night, had a very fun win for the Nats. Uh, One of the more improbable wins in recent Nats history, Uh, a 5-1 win over the National League East-leading New York Mets at Nationals Park in Game 2 of a three-game series in a game in which the Nats had a makeshift lineup and had Corey Abbott as their starting pitcher dueling with Mets ace Jacob deGrom. Now, deGrom was making his 2022 Major League regular season debut. This was his first Major League regular season game since July 7th, 2021, uh, due to first right elbow inflammation and then a stress reaction in his right shoulder. But whatever, a fun win and a surprising win for the Nats on Tuesday night. Nats manager, Davey Martinez, if you would. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey. Uh, You know, I'm not sure how many more Nats wins we'll have this season. So let's enjoy this one. Uh, The Nats improved to a major league worst 36 and 69 in the 2022 regular season. So with Juan Soto and Josh Bell gone, here was your Nats starting lineup on Tuesday night. You ready for this? Victor Robles, Luis Garcia, Yadiel Hernandez, Nelson Cruz, Kbert Ruiz, Joey Manessis, who, yeah, Josh Palacios, who, yeah, Cesar Hernandez, and Michael Franco. Not exactly the 1927 New York Yankees, but the Nats did win the game. Hey, the Nats on Tuesday night had five extra base hits, three home runs, a triple and a double. Yeah, the Nats, who this season have hit for like no power, had five extra base hits, including three homers 
on Tuesday night, and no homer was better than the homer that was hit by this guy, Joey Manessis. Who exactly? Uh, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon selected the contract of first baseman Joey Manessis from AAA Rochester. Uh, he was yet another older player for the Nats at Rochester. Uh, this season is Manessis's age 30 season and his 10th minor league season. Uh, Joey Manessis on Tuesday night was the Nats starting first baseman and number six batter in what was his major league regular season debut. He was your Josh Bell replacement and Manessis went one for four with a solo homer. Uh, he did strike out twice, but Manessis in an Nats one run seventh, a leadoff first pitch home run to right field for a 5-1 Nats lead for his first career major league regular season hit. Not bad. Uh, the homer when it projected 405 feet for StatCast. A very cool moment at Nationals Park. Uh, also, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon recalled outfielder Josh Palacios from AAA Rochester. Uh, Josh Palacios was your Juan Soto replacement. Uh, Palacios on Tuesday night was the Nats starting right fielder at number seven batter. He went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Uh, Luis Garcia was a hero for the Nats on Tuesday night. He was an Nats starting shortstop and number two batter. Uh, good. Davey Martinez needs to keep Garcia near the top of the order. No more Cesar Hernandez near the top of the order, please. Uh, Garcia on Tuesday night, two for four with a two-run homer and an RBI double. Uh, Garcia in the Nats, one run fourth, had an RBI double off Mets ace Jacob deGrom to the right center field gap for a 1-0 Nats lead. And Garcia in an Nats three-run sixth, a one-out, two-run homer to right field for a 3-1 Nats lead. The homer was some shot when it projected 427 feet for StatCast. And Garcia very much admired the home run. You know, Luis Garcia is not lacking in confidence. And uh, that confidence was on display via that home run. And then one pitch after the Luis Garcia home run, we got a Yadiel Hernandez home run. Uh, Yadiel on Tuesday night was an at starting left fielder at number three batter. He went one for three with a solo homer. Uh, Yadiel in that Nats three-run sixth, a one-out first pitch solo homer to right field for a 4-1 Nats lead as the Nats homered on consecutive pitches. Uh, I mentioned the Nats having a triple on Tuesday night, Cesar Hernandez was an at starting second baseman at number eight batter. He went one for three with a triple. Uh, Hernandez in the bottom of the seventh had a one-out triple to the right center field gap despite having been down at the count of one point, one, two. And then there was the Nats pitching. Uh, Corey Abbott on Tuesday night, five scoreless innings. Uh, the Nats on Saturday afternoon recalled Abbott from AAA Rochester. You know, the Nats just got this guy a few months ago. The Nats on May 4th claimed Abbott off waivers from the San Francisco Giants, and yet there was Corey Abbott on Tuesday night outdueling Jacob DeGrom, and Abbott tossed the five scoreless innings against the Mets team that has been one of the best offensive teams in the majors this season. The Mets entered Tuesday number five in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus for the 2022 regular season at 113. Uh, Abbott on Tuesday night gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. He issued two walks and a hit by pitch, had three strikeouts, threw 76 pitches, 51 strikes, 
versus 25 balls. And then the Nats bullpen came through on Tuesday night. Four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in four innings. Uh, Victor Arano did give up a run. He, in the top of the six, gave up a leadoff homer to Francisco Lindor to right field into the Nats bullpen to tie the game at one. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez in the top of the seventh faced three batters, but got just one out as he began the inning by getting a back-to-back singles. But then Kyle Finnegan came into the game and he ultimately tossed one and two-thirds perfect innings. How about the escape act by Kyle Finnegan? He entered the game in the top of the seventh with runners on second and third, one out, and that's nursing a 4-1 lead. And Finnegan incredibly got Brandon Nimmo to line to shortstop Luis Garcia for an unassisted double play to end the Mets thread. And then Finnegan tossed a perfect top of the eighth. And the four batters who Finnegan retired for the five outs in this game were the Mets numbers one through four batters. Brandon Nimmo, Starling Marte, Francisco Lindor, and Pete Alonso. And then Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on what he said to his team prior to Tuesday night's win. Yeah, you know, I I, I didn't do the, like the team, the whole team in one spot. I just talked to individuals, um, mentioned some things to the veteran guys about what we need to do moving forward, um, and it was good. I mean, these guys were good. They, you, you saw they played hard uh, as they always do. The effort was there. So, um, look, it was a good good win for us. You know, um, I was just telling. Uh, Jan and Kyle, that my granddaughter, before I came to the ballpark, told me, Grandpa, remember, stay positive. So that was that was the big deal today, to stay positive. And uh, um, we had a good day. Good night. How old is she? She's three. <laughs> yeah. She'll be four in a few days. <laughs> All right. I like that nugget from Davey Martinez. Game three for the Nats against the Mets at Nationals Park is on Wednesday afternoon at 4.05. Anibal Sanchez will be the Nats starting pitcher. All right, and we now arrive at the Orioles. Uh, So the O's prior to the 2022 MLB trade deadline on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern made three trades. Uh, The O's on Monday afternoon made a trade, uh, dealt outfielder slash first baseman Trey Mancini to the Houston Astros in a three-way trade that also included the Tampa Bay Rays. The O's received two pitchers, uh, Seth Johnson from the Rays and Chase McDermott from the Astros. Uh, And then the O's on Tuesday made two more trades. Uh, The O's on Tuesday morning traded their closer, Jorge Lopez, to the Minnesota Twins. The O's got back four pitching prospects, left-handers Cade Povich and Juan Rojas, and right-handers Yenier Cano and Juan Nunez, and the O's on Tuesday afternoon traded cash considerations to the Rays for outfielder Brett Phillips. Uh, What I will say about the O's trading Jorge Lopez is what I said about the O's trading Trey Mancini, and that is bravo, Orioles. Bravo to the birds. Uh, And as was the case with Mancini, this is nothing against Jorge Lopez. Jorge Lopez for the O's was a terrific story. Uh, The O's acquired Lopez off waivers from the Kansas City Royals in August 2020. Uh, Lopez in the 2020 and 2021 seasons struggled as a starting pitcher. Jorge Lopez in the 2021 regular season over 25 starts had an ERA of 6.35. Uh, Andy dealt with a serious health situation with his son. Uh, But Lopez late in the 2021 season 
began pitching as a reliever, and he did well in that role. And then Lopez this season has blossomed as a reliever. Jorge Lopez from May 19th through June 30th did not allow a single earned run. Uh, He was the only Oriole on the 2022 American League All-Star team. So yeah, I mean, nothing but good things to say about what ultimately happened with Jorge Lopez on the O's. But Jorge Lopez is a reliever, and relievers are fickle. They are year-to-year, really month-to-month. Relievers are not foundational pieces. You don't build around relievers. And unless you're a World Series contender, you sell relievers. You sell high on relievers. When a reliever stock is high, you should sell that stock. And so the O's with Jorge Lopez did exactly the right thing. They sold high, or relatively high, because he in July did struggle somewhat. But the bottom line with Jorge Lopez is that the O's turned a waiver claim into four pitching prospects. I mean, that's pretty good. Left-handers Cade Povich and Juan Rojas, and right-handers Yenier Cano and Juan Nunez. Uh, Povich, at the time of the trade, was the Twins' number 22 prospect per MLB pipeline. So this, to me, is a good job by O's executive vice president and general manager, Mike Elias, who is proving himself to be a stone-cold killer, okay? Trading Trey Mancini, trading Jorge Lopez, displaying a commitment to the process that if you're an O's fan, you gotta love. Uh, As for Brett Phillips, uh, so the O's trading for him seems like a depth move. Uh, The Rays on Monday had designated Phillips for assignment. Uh, This season is Phillips' age 28 season. He's under team control through the 2024 season. He's not a good hitter, okay? And he's having an especially bad 2022 season. Brett Phillips in the 2022 regular season, over 208 plate appearances for the Rays, had an OPS of just 475. That is atrocious, but Brett Phillips is a good outfielder. He can play all three outfield positions, and he this season has been especially good in right field. Uh, Phillips in the 2022 regular season, plus eight defensive runs saved as a right fielder. So the O's during the day on Tuesday made two more trades, and then the O's on Tuesday night ripped the Rangers in Texas for a second consecutive night. Uh, Monday night, a 7-2 win. Tuesday night, an 8-2 win as the O's, Joe Angel, again, were in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, what has become a very familiar place for the O's, the win column. Uh, The O's in the 2022 regular season now are 53-51. and Uh, The O's have surpassed their win total from last season. The O's for the 2021 regular season went just 52 and 110. The O's now are 53 and 51. Think about that. From 52 and 110 to 53 and 51. And the O's now are a mere one and a half games behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the American League's third wild card spot. Uh, more really good hitting by the O's on Tuesday night. Uh, now, the O's on Tuesday night actually got out hit by the Rangers 10-9, and yet the O's won the game pretty comfortably, right? 8-2. Uh, how? Big, fat, extra base hits were how? Uh, Jorge Mateo, two home runs. Uh, Mateo on Tuesday night 
as the Orioles starting shortstop and number nine batter. Two for five with two home runs and five RBI. Mateo in the Orioles' five-run third, a three-run homer to left field on an 0-2 pitch for a 3-0 Orioles lead. The homer went a projected 408 feet per stat cast, and Mateo in an Orioles' two-run ninth, a first-pitch two-run homer to left field for an 8-1 Orioles lead. Uh, Jorge Mateo is not known for his hitting, but he has been mashing lately. He, for the month of July, slugged 472, and he now, over two games in August, has two homers and a double. Uh, Speaking of hitting doubles, uh, Mr. Double, Adley Rutschman, two more doubles on Tuesday night. Adley Two Bags continues to rack up the doubles. So Rutschman in the 7-2 win at the Rangers on Monday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, three for four with an RBI double, another double, a single, and a walk. And Rutschman in the 8-2 win at the Rangers on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, two for five with an RBI double and another double. Uh, He has four doubles over the first two games of this series. Uh, Rutschman on Tuesday night in the Orioles' five-run third, an opposite field RBI double off the left center field warning track for a 4 nothing Orioles lead. And Rutschman in the Orioles' one-run fifth, a leadoff double to right field on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, Adley Rutschman now over his 57 major league regular season games, 22 doubles, and his OPS is up to 798. Uh, He has been so good lately. And then Anthony Santander on Tuesday night. He is the Orioles starting left fielder and number three batter. Two for four with an RBI double and a single. Uh, Santander in the Orioles, one run fifth and RBI double to right field for a 6-0 Orioles lead. Uh, The O's on Tuesday night, just the nine hits, but five of them were extra base hits. Two homers and three doubles. Uh, Like I said, big fat extra base hits. Uh, The former Ranger, Jordan Lyles. Uh, He was the Orioles' starting pitcher on Tuesday night, and he was good. Uh, Lyles, one run in six into third innings. He had seven strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, He did give up seven hits, a double, and six singles, but Lyles threw a lot of pitches and threw a lot of strikes. Uh, 110 pitches, 73 strikes versus just 37 balls. Uh, Jordan Lyles now in the 2022 regular season, 22 starts, ERA, of 440. Uh, He on Tuesday was not traded despite him this season being on a one-year contract with a club option for 2023. And despite this season being his age 31 season, uh, it felt like there was at least a decent chance that Lyles would be traded, but he was not traded. And he has been good for the O's, uh, much better than he was for the Rangers. Uh, Lyles signed with the O's off having pits for the Rangers over the previous two seasons, 2020 and 2021. Uh, Lyles over those two regular seasons had an ERA of 560. Uh, Game three for the O's at the Rangers is on Wednesday afternoon at 2.05. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 369, will include plenty from 2022 Commanders Training Camp, and I'll discuss the new look, Nationals, 
and Orioles. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon at 4.05 have Game 3 of their three-game series against the National League East-leading New York Mets at Nationals Park. The O's on Wednesday afternoon at 2.05 have Game 3 of their three-game series at the Texas Rangers. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. You know, in 2019, we had a slogan, bumpy roads lead to beautiful places. <clears throat> we're, you know, we're in a bumpy road right now. And uh, we believe that coming out of this thing, it'll be a beautiful place. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.